Boys and girls, thank you so much for leading us in worship tonight. It always does my heart good to hear you sing, so thank you for taking time and sharing your gifts with us tonight. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I will be reading that to you, but before I do that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Isaiah chapter 58, beginning with the first verse. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all of your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth with ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall shall go before you The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and God will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Boys and girls, you may not believe this, but when I was your age, I did very well in school. I made very good grades. In fact, believe it or not, I was at the top of my class for most of the time I was in school. When I was a young child, I didn't really care too much about this, but as I got older and I paid attention to such things, I realized and maybe decided that I needed to try to continue to prove to other people how smart I was. I wanted to be the smartest one in class. I wanted to make the the great grades, and I wanted everybody else to know how smart I was too. 
So when the teacher would ask me questions or ask questions of the class, I would raise my hand. I'd be one of the first people that would raise my hand because I always wanted to be the one who knew the answers. But when time came for us to ask the questions, the students to ask the questions, I would always keep my hand down. That didn't mean I didn't know everything. I certainly, there were lots of things I did not know, but I didn't want people to know that I didn't know things. And so if I was unsure about something the teacher was teaching in class, I would just keep my hands down and I would go try to figure it out later. But that all changed one day when I was in middle school. I was taking an algebra class with, uh, with Ms. Phillips, who is my algebra teacher. And she had a, a motto in her class. She said, there are no foolish questions, only brave questions. Let's say that again. There are no foolish questions, only brave questions. One day I tried to put that to the test. I'd walked into our sixth period class. It was right towards the end of the day. And as I walked in, I noticed she was holding a pop quiz in her hand. We sat down and we were all a little bit shaken. None of us were really prepared for this pop quiz. And she asked us before we take this pop quiz, do any of you have any questions? Keep in mind, there are no foolish questions, only brave questions. And so I, for the first time in many years, raised my hand and said, I have a question. I'm struggling with the quadratic equation. I don't really have any idea what you're talking about when you say that. Can you explain that to us before we take the pop quiz? She said, sure. And she took a few minutes and wrote some things on the board. I tried my best to take notes as best I could. But after she explained it, something incredible happened. Another student raised their hand and said, I'm having some trouble as well. Can you explain another concept to me that they were struggling with? And as soon as she explained that, another student raised their hand and another student raised their hand. And for the next 30 minutes or so, she went over a review of all the things we had learned. Finally, after a few minutes, she took those pop quizzes that were in her hands and put them in her desk, and she said, it's a good thing you all were brave. We'll try this pop quiz next week. <laughs> it pays to be brave and ask questions. If you want to be a learner, it pays to be brave. There are no foolish questions, only brave questions. That's a good motto for any student. But it's also a good motto for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, as people of faith. Sometimes we might think that faith and questions contradict each other, but actually nothing could be further from the truth. You think, I have faith, so I shouldn't have any questions? Of course not. Faith means that we know and we believe that any question we have, we can bring to God. And God will take those questions and hear those questions and answer those questions with grace and with love. Anytime we have doubts, anytime we have fears, anytime we have questions, we can bring those questions to God because we know God loves us so. Well, over the season of Lent, we're going to be talking about some questions of our faith. We're going to be using the, the Scripture passages from the lectionary, and we'll be drawing questions out of the Scripture. Some of those questions are going to be questions that Jesus asked. Some of them will be questions of the Pharisees. And some of them will just be our own questions that come out of the passage themselves. And we'll be hopefully using those questions to help us grow closer to God, to, draw, to, to dig down deeper into our faith, because that's what good questions do. Hopefully, ultimately, they help us grow closer to God. And tonight, our first question is a very appropriate question for Ash Wednesday. 
Why are you fasting? Why are you fasting? Fasting is something that a lot of people do uh, during the season of Lent. Although most of us don't fast completely of food, many of us will fast in small ways. Fasting means that we, we don't eat for a certain period of time. We refrain from eating. That's why most of us fast during the night when we're sleeping. That's why in the morning we eat breakfast. That means we're breaking the fast. That's where the word breakfast comes from. Most of us during the season of Lent don't fast, uh, although uh, many of our, our Jewish neighbors and our Muslim neighbors, they do fast at different times during the year. But sometimes we'll fast in just small ways. We'll do things like, oh, I'm not going to eat sweets or I'm not going to eat chocolate for the next few weeks. Or some of us might choose to fast from, from social media. We're not going to look at social media for the next few weeks. Or maybe we're going to stop doing something that we know is a habit of ours that we've been trying to break. We're going to try to do that during the season of Lent. There are all sorts of types of fasts that we can do, and fasting truly is just a spiritual discipline. We fast because it is a way that we can grow closer to God to remember that we need God. It's a way of reminding ourselves that we are not the king of the universe, that if it weren't for God's help, God's providence, then those needs and our desires that we have would never be met. But there are times throughout history when people have forgotten why we fast. People have been fasting or practicing other spiritual disciplines for the wrong reasons. That's what Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was talking about in our passage tonight. He asks the people in the exile, why are you fasting? What is the point of your fasting? Are you fasting because you're trying to get God's favor and get God to answer all your prayers? Are you fasting because you want the people around you to, to think you're great and you're very religious and very pious? Or are you fasting because you want to provide that food for your neighbor in need? Are you fasting because you want to help someone else who is hungry who doesn't have the food that you have? Are you fasting because you want to grow closer to God? The same thing happens in the New Testament. Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about three different spiritual disciplines in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember it. He talks about prayer, he talks about giving money to the church, and he talks about fasting. And with prayer, he says there are some people who pray, and they go out in the middle of the street, and they pray these big, beautiful, elaborate prayers because they want everybody in the world to see them pray. But he says that's not what you should do. When you pray, go in your room and close the door because it's just a conversation between you and God. Or there are some people, when they give money to the church, they want everybody to see them give money to the church. They want everyone to see how rich and how generous they are. But when you give money, give it with your left hand and don't let your right hand see what you're doing. That's how secret I want it to be. And then he says there are other people who are fasting and they look terrible, and they want everybody to see how much they're sacrificing and how hard it is and how pious and religious they are. But when you fast, don't do it for other people. Just do it for you and God. That's your way of showing your devotion to God to deepen your relationship with God. Maybe, from time to time, that happens to us. We practice our faith, we practice our religion because we want other people to see us doing it. We want to be religious, we want to be righteous, we want other people to see how faithful we are to God. 
This past week I was reading a story, a a confession in some way, by the great pastor John Buchanan. He was a wonderful, wonderful preacher in the Presbyterian church. And years ago, uh, there was an evangelical church, another denomination, who was criticizing the Presbyterian church because they had, we had lost our way. We had forgotten the Bible, we were being too political, we had forgotten the Holy Spirit. And so the church asked John Buchanan and another wonderful preacher named Joanna Adams to go and speak to two preachers from this other church and and talk to them and see if they could find some common ground. Well, they went and met them at their church and before long it was pretty clear there was no common ground to be had. They were just lobbing insults at each other across the table, back and forth. You all don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, you all don't love your neighbor. Things like that. Well, finally, somebody suggested, you know what we need to do? We've got to pray because clearly we can't find any common ground here. The two evangelical pastors went first and they started praying and they prayed these big, beautiful, elaborate prayers with, filled with Scripture, long prayers, enough to make you fall asleep when you were hearing the prayer. But while they were praying, John and Joanna looked at each other and said, we can do this one better. And so when their time came to pray, their prayer was bigger, longer, more poetic, using more Scripture. And when they got done, John said, we won that battle. We won the battle of the prayers. But after he left, he realized that's not what praying is about. Praying is not about trying to impress the people around us or be better than someone on the other side. Prayer is about growing closer to God. It's not about trying to prove ourselves to other people. It's about trying to deepen our relationship with God, open our eyes and open our ears, and listen for how God is calling us to live and move and have our being in this world. How many of you have seen the the Broadway play Wicked? Have any of you seen that? Maybe on TV or something like that? Well, some of y'all know the, the main character in the, in the Broadway play Wicked. Her name is Elphaba. She is, I knew her as the Wicked Witch of the West when I was growing up. But in the new play, her name is, is Elphaba. And she is trying to prove throughout the entire play that she is not wicked. She's trying to prove to all the people around her that she is actually a wonderful person, a talented person, a gifted person. But for some strange reason, she can't prove it, no matter how hard she tries. And so finally, in one of her songs, one of her songs called No Good Deed, she sings these words. One question haunts and hurts. Too much, too much to mention. Was I really seeking good or just seeking attention? Sometimes that happens to us when we go out and try to do good things in the world. When we practice our faith, sometimes we do it because we want other people to notice us. We do it because we want the glory. We want the righteousness. But all of that in the Bible is just called self-righteousness. What we're called to do when we practice these spiritual disciplines, when we do things like fasting, is to give glory to God. To remind ourselves and to remind our neighbors that if it were not for God, we would be ashes and dust. That's the good news. That when we do practice those things, we remember that God loves us. That God cares for us and God calls us to love other people. 
So during this season of Lent, why are we fasting? Why are we practicing spiritual disciplines? Well, I want to give you a new reason why you should fast. This is, this is what I want you to do. This is why we're practicing spiritual disciplines this season of Lent. We are practicing these spiritual disciplines so that we can be brave. We can be brave and admit that we need God. We can be brave and admit that if it weren't for God, we would be lost. We can be brave and admit that every single day we need God to help us and that God can answer our questions when we need them. In fact, tonight, in just a few minutes, we're going to give you a chance to practice being brave. That little strip of fabric that you were given, here's what I want you to do in just a few minutes. I want you to write a question on that piece of fabric. It can be any question. It can be a big question about how the world works, or it can be a small question about something going on in your family. It can be a big question about deep theological questions that you have, or it can just be a personal question about something going on in your heart. And we're going to take those pieces of fabric and use them in our liturgy throughout the season of Lent. Now, I know that takes courage. I know it takes courage to write a question down, a question that somebody else might hear. But here's the thing. When you're brave, you encourage other people to be brave too. When you have courage, you give other people courage too. When you have the courage to admit that you don't have all the answers, you give other people the courage to admit that they don't have all the answers too. We all have to take our questions to God. So we'll take a few moments in just a few minutes, and I want you to write your questions down. And when you write them down, remember this. There are no foolish questions. There are only brave questions. To the glory of God. Amen.